Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. I would be Matt or Matlana. I didn't give myself the nickname. I earned the nickname. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. Well, it was interesting that I, at the time I was working at WAGA and I received a call in the middle of the afternoon from Terry Hansen, who had been the general manager of the Chiefs and moved over to Turner Broadcasting uh, as they were kind of forming up Turner Sports. And he called me to do, um, we met that afternoon, He, uh, Ted Turner wanted a documentary done about his team. And they were looking for a producer to do that. And so Terry called me and asked me if I'd be interested, met that day. And uh, I would say three days later, he asked me to come over to produce uh, the program is a four-hour documentary called It's a Long Way to October. And it was the story from inside out of the 1982 Atlanta Braves. And we had, when I say full access, we had full access. Uh, that was Joe Torrey's first year as manager of the Braves. And he had uh, Dal Maxville and Bob Gibson was his pitching coach. And we were given the greatest access. It, it was hard knocks of the Atlanta, 1982 Atlanta Braves before hard knocks became a thing with the NFL. And we, because Turner owned the team and owned the TV station, we were able to get into meetings with Ted and the coaching staff. Uh, uh, Tory wore a mic that year, I would say 60 to 65 times. So we had the greatest thing, the, the best part of a long way to October was that you were able to see and hear things that you had never seen and heard uh, before. Now, with hard knocks, you kind of have the idea of the inner workings of an NFL team. Well, and I want to give you credit. Yeah, I want to give you credit on that. Number yeah. one, for those who haven't seen this, the thing, a lot of clips of it are on YouTube. Glenn was nice enough to share it with me. It is. It is like the first sports documentary years before, whether it's Hard Knocks or any of these other things. And, and again, as a Braves fan or a baseball fan, the access is uh, is unbelievable. But I, I want to back up before we talk about that. So were you okay. hired 
by TBS to just work on the dock, or was that now I'm leaving Channel 5 and I'm going to TBS as an employee there? So I was leaving Channel 5 to go work as an employee there, and basically Terry Hansen said, if this is a successful, it, he kind of kiddingly said, I'm bringing you over here, and I expect you to win an Emmy Award <laughs> with this program. I had no pressure. I was, what, 24 years old. <laughs> never really had done anything like that before but uh, uh we all worked for under ted was bob wessler who had been the president for cbs sports cbs news uh he was now ted's number number two guy and he he's the one basically with terry hansen who hired me and they said not only do we want you to come in to do this it better be a success and you and hansen always said you better win an Emmy to fast forward the night we won the Emmy and we were on stage. I whispered in his ear, what time is our meeting Monday morning to talk about a long-term contract? (laughs) The timing is everything. (laughs) Timing is everything. And you know, it was a storybook year, but so I was brought in mainly as a full-time employee to do that documentary. But then going forward, Turner Sports, as you know, really grew. And we actually did three, two more documentaries past that. And in the 1985 season, I was basically made the senior coordinating producer of the Braves telecast. So that well, happened in 1985. If I asked you to go back, you're 24 years old. So it's a, it's a different thing at 24 and 44 when you're making a, a big shift in career. Did you really, like, in your heart of hearts think that this TBS thing was going to be, not what it turned into, but, like, this could be my long-term home, or was this just, I'm 24, I'll take a shot? I'm 24, I'll take a shot. (laughs) I've got, you know, the dream of, I grew up in L.A. and grew up a huge Dodger fan, um, and our family had, my dad's family business had uh, season tickets, so I was a huge Dodger fan, you know, loves Vin Scully. Um, and it, it was part of my blood. And now I'm given, being given an opportunity to travel and be with a major league baseball team every day. And I could not pass that up. However, however it looked, however it went forward, whatever happened in the future, didn't know. But it did, and it was it, it was the right choice. <laughs> yeah, you made the right one. What was your first meeting like with Ted, and what was your relationship with him back in those days? Uh, my first meeting with Ted was very positive. Uh, you know, Terry Hansen took me up there to see him and introduced me as, Ted, he's going to do your movie. He's the producer <laughs> in charge of your movie. Ah, that's great. That's just great. <laughs> you know, he was very positive. He was very Ted. And uh, welcome to the family. And I always had a great relationship with him. And, you know, going forward, the night that that documentary aired, it aired two nights. It was a two two-hour specials. Uh, they rented out the back room at Harrison's. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. uh, Harrison's on yep. Peachtree. And we were back there. And Ted came in and uh, sat and watched opening night with us and sat there and cheered the whole time and he was i mean he was like a to say he was a kid in the candy store he was a kid in the candy store high-fiving hugging for two hours and you know that was we achieved the goal and the ultimate goal was ted needs to be happy 
and Ted was very happy. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find? A craft beer bar, self-serve taps, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At The Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at roads-group.com. Again, I, I've told, I love the documentary is great. The first one, I thought the other two were really good too. So, you know, from that perspective, the work is good. Ted's happy, but let me ask you about the working relationship. Relationship. How much was Ted involved daily with your job, or just involved with the network um, that had his name on it? Not too much with us, Matt. Um, you know, I think every once in a while he would check in with Wessler to find out how it's going. Um, but as far as the day-to-day on top of it, he would, you know, Ted would pop up in certain cities and see us, and he would wave. So that was about as close as we got. But I never really heard, as we were doing the production, directly from him Um but Bob Wessler was was very much involved. And when there were certain times that I thought that we needed to, before we edited the program and put certain segments in there, there's one where Tori is just having a huge argument with the quartet of umpires. And to say there was foul language in there would be an understatement. <laughs> and and we we didn't beep it. We just dubbed it out. I think we actually missed a few words when you go back and listen to it. And we had to take that up to Wessler to approve before we actually put it into the documentary. And he looked at me and said, this is spectacular. <laughs> there were other parts yeah. that he thought dragged on too long. You need to cut a little bit. So I think from that standpoint, it really wasn't Ted. It was Bob Wessler who had a more hands-on approach. So talk to me about then the transition into becoming the producer for Braves baseball, mid eighties. For those who don't remember or weren't here back in the time, say things weren't exactly the salad days for the baseball team. So for a lot of us growing up, the broadcasters became a lot of the entertainment. So talk to me about, getting to know those guys starting with whether skip or pete or ernie like what was the the relationship like at the beginning and how welcoming were they for you well it was interesting a couple things number one i had met them when i was a college student at san diego state 
the Braves would come to San Diego to play the Padres. And in those days, to get highlights, I was an intern for one of the local stations to get highlights, the actual tape deck that you brought a tape, put it in to get the highlights, sat in the visiting television booth uh, because it was a huge booth for usually used, I guess, for football. So I would sit in there, and I actually, when the Braves would come to town, I would meet those guys. Now, I didn't have much of a relationship with them, but when I came to Atlanta and I was working the three documentaries, 82, 83, 84, we were part of the traveling party, and that's when we really got to know each other. Um, and Pete, I would say Pete became a huge mentor to me, especially in 1982, when we were doing the, uh, the beginning part of the documentary, if you remember, the Braves won the first 13 games of that season. Right. <clears throat> and everybody, to say euphoric, I mean, everybody was crazy. And Pete was the one. And I remember a night in Houston at the old Marriott Houston at Astrodome took me aside after a game at the in the lounge and said, this is a long season. You need to chill out. <laughs> and I mean, this is week two of that season. And he says, you know, this, this, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. We're, it, it's not all, you know, Pete had been with the team since the seventies. It's not really like this. We don't win every, you know, teams don't win every night. And so he said, you know, you have to capture the moment but I want to caution you, don't leave it in April. And you can't, you know, you've never done this before. You've never traveled with a team. And I really appreciate it. Pete was kind of, he looked out for me as a mentor. And they all did. Um, I didn't have, in those days, and Ernie was like the father figure. Nobody, you know, everybody loved Ernie. And Ernie was, was he was the patriarch. And Skip was, you know, Skip was Skip. He 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 didn't really understand what we were doing and how we were doing it. But he, but as it turned out, you know, we we cultivated a long, great relationship, and he became really my my father figure in Atlanta um, through all those years. And you know, when I started in '85 with the telecast, they never in those days had a producer. They had, usually had a director that did both jobs because the telecast was not huge in those days. A lot of production elements, a lot of graphics, all that. You know, it was it was pretty. Uh, I don't want to say watered down, but it, it it wasn't to the size of broadcasts are now. Um, but we had had some executive producers come through that came from the networks and felt that to enhance the broadcast, make it look bigger, feel better that it needed another content producer involved. And that's when my role really expanded. And I will say in the beginning, the announcers didn't totally take to it because, you know, and I love Skip to death, but he authority figures in his life were not at the top of the priority list. I mean, <laughs> he hid that so well. Oh yeah. <laughs> so skip having anybody to tell him what to do, how to do, when to do, that was just not something that he was, he was um, excited about. But as time went on, we, we, 
we got to know each other and we learned each other and we had our we had our great days and we had our great relationship and we had our challenging days too i will tell you that <laughs> well but that and that comes with the territory you work that closely with somebody for six months like you guys would do at a time that's that's inevitable but let me ask you about each guy because glenn i'm fascinated yeah. at, at chemistry and i've talked to talk show hosts and tv people about I've never had a great explanation because it's just something that just happens. So give me your best guess why. And I'll start with those three and then we'll add in, you know, Don and you know, Billy Sample was there for a minute. And, you know, the joke right. came along later. But how do you right. explain chemistry? Why did it work so well with that crew? I think they trusted each other and they respected each other. And they all they all really um had different approaches you know ernie was the father figure the old timer uh he had the history of the team coming from milwaukee and he was also at the time the director of broadcasting you know uh pete's niche obviously was research statistical information um he was kind of the steady eddie and skip was the entertainer you know good or bad <laughs> he was you know at times, I think Skip wanted the team to do poorly because he thought that made him more entertaining and more, you know, more of a fun broadcaster. Because if they're winning and they're trying to win a pennant or whatever, you really got to stick. You, you got to really concentrate on the game. But you know, Skip made promos and making fun of the producer and you know uh, those those types of things. It was just it was more than a baseball game. It was, it was a television show, and you know Skip became an entertainer. So I think because they all did different things, they all met, melded together. They weren't competing with each other; they were playing off each other, and I and they loved each other. the The three of those guys they absolutely respected and loved each other. I think you said it perfectly too, right? And, and growing up in Atlanta, as I said, before 1991, I mean, outside of 82, 83 and 84, they were pretty good. But as you said, your stretch from 85 to 90, so you had to dress it up in different ways. And it always, even as a kid, resonated to me. It sounded like those guys were doing a show with a baseball right. game going on. Never bigger than the game, but it was a nice, you know, additional piece to it. Um, and I used to remember hearing about this Glenn Diamond because Skip would bring you up constantly. Mm -hmm. So how was that for you at first? I mean, were you open to the idea that you became sort of Skip's, you know, muse or just fun piece to kind of like, you know, bring in this, uh, this faceless Glenn Diamond character? What did you think when he first brought you in? Uh, you know, I didn't think much about it. Um, it. It was just, you know, go about your business and, uh, uh, you know, he, it, and it, it kind of added to, what he was doing i didn't have a problem with it and you know back in those days wgn was on the air and his dad made arnie harris if you remember the director Absolutely. of the yep. chicago cubs so i kind of looked at skip i became skip's arnie harris and you know uh, uh and and i think it was just it was part of his shtick and you know, I always said if Skip is going to come in one day and he needs to beat on somebody, I'd rather it be me because I can take it. And, uh, you know, we, you know, a funny story with that. A little later on, uh, my wife and I, we were building a home here in, in Roswell, and we had to move into an apartment complex to uh, while we were building the home. 
And Skip got on the air and said, you know, for those of you who live in a certain apartment complex in Roswell, I apologize to you. <laughs> I'm sorry for you. And, and, and to end that story, um, while we were building that home, we were out in San Francisco one day, and the guys liked to hang at a place called Lefty O'Doul's, which was across the street from the hotel that we stayed at. And they would talk about lefties all the time. So there were some people in town from Dunwoody that came in to drink with the guys. And they knew they would be there because they talked about it all the time. Well, one of the gentlemen that was there from Dunwoody turned to me and said, hey, my name is so-and-so. What's your name? I said, my name's Glenn Diamond. They go, you're Glenn Diamond, the one that Skip talks about all the time? I said, yeah. He goes, have you finished that damn house yet? I'm tired of hearing about it. <laughs> you, became, you became an extension for those of us watching, which I thought was, was always very enjoyable. Um, I, maybe it's too close for me because I grew up watching those guys constantly. But, Glenn, I, I still to this day feel like those three especially are underrated. Don't get the amount of... of you know, do they don't get the amount of acclaim, and I don't. And I'll start with Skip, and then we'll work our way through. Why do you think it is that, and maybe I'm misinterpreting, that Skip does not get nationally the type of talk that some of these other great household name broadcasters have received? You know, um, uh, and I think the old time baseball people looked at Skip as not a baseball old timer because he wasn't about you know the game all the time. Does that make sense? It does you know, totally. Yep. He, you know, he was an entertainer skipped, as well. He was an entertainer, and you know, uh, he knew his history of the game. He knew the game. You know, Skip had great timing, like a Jackie Gleason or somebody like that. So I think people, um, people who make decisions for Hall of Fames and things like that. You know, he's a big star. Nash, uh, locally, but not nationally. You know, we always felt at TBS that the people in New York stuck their noses up at us down in Atlanta. You know, it was just like, even though we were on national television every night and had a huge audience and had a big influence on the game back then with the superstations at the time it was WOR it was WGN it you know and TBS and when the Braves obviously got good in 91 and above it really raised their profile but I think Skip was looked at it's not a hardcore baseball guy and the people who make those decisions of Hall of Famers and things like that look more to people who are baseball lifers. And Skip never, I, I think, was never categorized as a baseball lifer for a lot of reasons. He did NBA. He did, you know, he did the Hawks for a long time. He did the NBA on TNT and TBS. Uh, he came from St. Louis, did the, the St. Louis Hawks back then. So I think he just got kind of categorized that way that he was not a baseball lifer. And so the baseball lifer people didn't put him in there. That that's one of the things the way I look at it. I, I think, no, I, I think you said it perfectly. I want to ask you about Pete in a second, but skip himself away from the mic during games. What was the skip personality? How different, how similar, whether it was post game out, having a drink pregame, getting ready for a broadcast, just your relationship through the years. How was that different than on air? Um, so we, you know, we had our great times together and we had our challenges. I mean, 
you know, I, I think it's no lie that Skip didn't mind having a cocktail after the games. You just had to know when to and when not to be in the room. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, sometimes he'd get agitated about things, you know, that, that uh, I always told people and I tell people now, I had a PhD in Skip Carey. I'm not Skip Carey 101. I had a PhD in Skip Carey. So I learned through trial and error when to be in the room and when not to be in the room, when to approach him. Um, you know, later in our career, he liked to agitate, and I'll give you a quick little story, but he liked to agitate the executives. You know, he would tell you, I got to be who I am by being who I am, and I'm going to continue to do it. He would have trouble today, and today's, you know, political correctness. Skip sometimes wasn't politically correct. And, you know, back there, back then, he would be able to get uh, get away with it. Um, I remember one night he asked me on the air, hey, Glenn, what's the movie coming up after the game? And I said, uh, Encino Man. He goes, did you tell me Encino Man? And I forget who's in it. It was not it's a great Paulie movie. Shore. It's an awful movie. Yeah. 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 And he goes, well, folks, Encino Man on after the game. I think it's an ESPN Sports Center night for you. <laughs> So, so, um, uh, so, do you think the executives at TBS went running to him? Why would you say that? Why would you promote the competition? Why would you do this? Why would you? No, 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 no. They're lined up. I come in the office the next day. They're lined up at my door to say, you know, how do you? How could you let him do that? I'm going, you know. So right then on. I got to show. <laughs> so it, it was things like that where Skip, Skip's one of those guys. He'd walk to the line. Then he'd step over the line every once in a while just to see who's watching. And if anybody, you know, had the guts to come and challenge him, uh, you know, as, and as the years went on, Skip always had a godfather looking out for him back at TBS, whether it be Ted or some of the other executives. And I always tried to explain to him, look, you've got to take the good with the bad. And every once in a while, he's going to be agitated and throw a movie under the bus or throw <laughs> some franchise under the bus or a sponsor under the bus. I said, look at how much he brings to you. And every once in a while, he's going to stumble. And, you know, some executives understood that and some did not. <laughs> It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, uh, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. The dailydraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like trivia night, kids eat free night and more. The dailydraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love the Daily Draft. 
Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at roads-group.com. Well, there's there's one distinct memory I have of <laughs> in the seventh inning of, of a game. I, apparently, he fell behind on the promotional reads and asked you on air what reads you had to do. And then I think he knocked out three or four and just said, okay, we're done. You imagine today yeah. what the, again, the execs and you know the clients, they'd lose their mind. Yeah. I do have one other story that is very, you know, famous amongst my crew is the one thing Skip absolutely hated to do, hated to do, was interview people not involved with a game in the booth during the game. I mean, that was just something he just didn't want to do. Well, when we started Turner South, they were really promoting a lot of their ancillary programming, the junk in and the Southern Chef and all those types of things. And so one night, Skip was being very playful with us in the truck, and we had what they call a talkback switch where he can hit, hit the button and talk to us in the truck, but you wouldn't hear him on the air. Well, he was just – he was talking more to us in the truck than he was doing the game. So, so – Finally, the director that night turned to me and said, can you get him to do the game? And he says, it's very distracting. And I said, I could do that, but he won't talk to us for a week if I do that. And he goes, (laughs) I bet you can't do that. And I go, okay. I said, all right. So the next half inning, we get to the break. And I said, hey, Skip, I forgot to tell you, tomorrow night we've got to interview in the fourth inning the chef from Southern Cooking. And he went – I, I don't. I can't. Can't tell you the words he used at me. Well, he not only talked to, didn't talk to us the rest of that game. It was about three or four more games. And I turned to the director and I said, "Told you, I fixed the problem." <laughs> so now we get to Philadelphia. We get to Philadelphia, and he still he wouldn't talk to us on the plane. And I mean, cold shoulder. I mean, there was an iceberg there. Okay. So the one thing skipped. I knew that Skip liked to do because now the director comes to me and goes, we can't work under these conditions. I said, you mean the conditions you cause? And he goes, <laughs> he says, how do you get them back? I said, I'll get them back. To, uh, I, I, I know how to get them back. This is my, when I said I have a PhD. So, he, so the one thing Skip loved, he didn't want to do, he never wanted to wait for the team bus to go back to the hotel. He wanted to get, when the game was over, he wanted out of there. And there were no Ubers those days and trying to get a taxi. And so we get to the eighth inning of the game that night, and I hit the all-call button so they, all the announcers can hear me. And I go, who needs a ride back to the hotel right after the game? Well, so I do, I do, I do. So he goes, I'll be, wait for me. I'll be there five minutes after the game. And about five minutes after the game, here he goes. And he gets in my car and he looks at me and I look at him and he goes, I'm still pissed off at you. I go. <laughs> yeah, that's priceless. That is. Yeah. So, so we get back to the hotel. He hugs me. I leave him at the, at, at the lobby door so he can go into the lounge and he hugs me. He goes, I still love you, but I'm still pissed off. I go, gave him a thumbs up and away we went. And, and but that was our relationship. That was, that was just it. You know, yeah. you had to, you had, it was a minefield some days. 
So I, I, I get it. And I totally do. Again, you work that close with somebody for that long. It, that's just that's the way it, sometimes it's going to go. But on the other side of it is, again, and Glenn, you said Pete, just like the ultimate broadcaster of the sort of the maybe the Vin Scully ilk, right? A lot of numbers, a lot of Correct. notes, good stories, a lot of references. I was always amazed at how quickly Pete was able to not only refer to a number, but work in a story or an anecdote to it. And I feel like I do again, and maybe I'm defensive towards my guys that they don't get the do. Like, I think Pete is one of the great traditional baseball broadcasters, and maybe he doesn't get recognized as such. Um, I, I agree. Now, uh, as I to- said, Skip was a baseball lifer. Pete was a baseball lifer um, and very well respected, but he had, he wasn't flashy. You know, where his strengths were in the numbers. He had context, I think, not only in the Atlanta Braves' history and research, but how the Atlanta Braves fit into the bigger picture of the, the league and baseball. And, and you know, he did those diamond notes on radio every Sunday. He just had the, he, he just had the knack of really – he's a research guy. He was a research guy, and he know how – knew how to find that stuff and he knew how to present his presentation and he was he was a very steady eddie but a problem is a guy like him there's no there's no flash he was a great broadcaster he had great inflections in his voice but he wasn't flashy so he kind of i think a little bit with this group got lost in the shuffle a little bit that's my opinion but i thought you know pete and i had uh um you know we were very uh, we had a very close relationship and you know baseball was our part of our everyday life and when there was a lot of other stuff going on around you know whether it be executives or all the there was a lot of noise all the time around and everybody wanted um to get their promos in or their guests on or whatever Pete was able to just plush all that out and concentrate on baseball. But because he wasn't really flashy, I think that hurt him a little bit. I'm thrilled to announce a brand new partner of ours here on Welcome to Mount Atlanta. It's Abulus Landscape Lighting. Yes, Abulus Lighting has done a great job of keeping my home really beautiful and lit up for the holiday season over the last three years. And so many folks think of that and say, well, what else can Abulus Landscape Lighting do? Well, here's an idea. They can do a free layout, design, and estimate for you, and they can do it virtually. Whether it's home accents or landscapes, deck and path, specialty lighting, they have it all. Residential and commercial opportunities for everybody from Abulus Landscape Lighting. I want you to mention Real Matlana, and you're going to get $150 off a complete new system. Abulus Lighting can do no-contact designs and estimates via the web, and they can also do the conversion and repair. They're Metro Atlanta's highest-rated landscape lighting service, with the latest LED technology and pro-grade equipment and installation. Lighting increases all the home value that we want, and it presents that curb appeal. Abulus Landscape Lighting will make your home look better at night than it does in the daytime. Go to abuluslighting.com. That's abuluslighting.com. Mention Real Matlana. Get 150 bucks off that brand-new complete system from Abulus Landscape Lighting. They're fabulous. Yeah, and not self-promoting and not, no, I think that's, that's a very fair way to look at it. Um, so when the turn comes in, in 91, when things turn and the Braves become a, a contender and ultimately when they go on the run, did you notice a couple of things? The star rising from your broadcasters, your telecast, in addition to the team, like what did you notice about nationwide, how much people were 
paying more attention or, or sort of you know, digging into the product more? Well, if you remember, the Braves were nine and a half games back at the All-Star break. Right. So the first half of that season was business as usual. It was like 1990. It was like, uh, you know, it was there there wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot of difference. Um, The Braves had brought in for 91, Sid Bream, Raphael Belliard, Terry Pendleton and all that. But we didn't see the fruits of all that in the beginning. it was, and if you remember, they came out of the All-Star break and they won, I don't know, seven, eight in a row, and they started to climb. You could feel it was more of momentum building and building. And I think people started to pay attention probably mid to late August. And then you could feel it because when we would go on the road, and I always remember this because of the Superstation, we would go to the Astrodome and there'd be more Braves fans at the Astrodome than uh, Astro fans. I mean, it was and and at batting practice behind the Braves dugout. I mean, you could see at our hotel, you could start to see it building in mid to late August, and then they, you know, they had a chance. We went out to the West Coast, I believe, early September, and had a great road trip, and then we're right there with the Dodgers, and so that kind of changed. You kind of felt it then. You felt the momentum starting in August, but by the second week in September, it was like, "Uh-oh, this is this this could happen." And I think it really changed the vibe for everybody. From a rating standpoint, were you one who dug into the overnights to see how things were? And, and I know it's different doing it in 1986 to 91, but how much did you want to start diving into more of that, knowing as the end of that season was approaching how important the games became? You know, it's interesting. I didn't really um, – it was probably mid to late 90s I started to pay more attention to that. Um, we were just so busy, and we knew, you know, we knew – we had a huge audience. And, you know, what's interesting is we used to hear a lot from people on the West Coast. People would get home from work, and we were as popular uh, on the West Coast when we would go to Candlestick Park or Dodger Stadium or San Diego. There were huge fans that loved, loved to watch the games at 4 or 5 o'clock. That was that was as big big influence I think as we felt and we were big out there our broadcasts were big out there because we were fighting the Dodgers and you know the Dodgers are a national team and so they you know they would watch us because it had a direct effect on their teams out there. Let me keep an eye on you. Um, what did you think about the broadcast itself? As again, more attention is on the team and they become a bigger national brand. The, the word Homer, I think it's, it's turned too many times. I always thought of our broadcasters as, yeah, they wanted the Braves to win, but they would tell it like it is when things weren't going well. Did you guys ever try to make sure that you were telling a different story as, again, more eyes are on you as the Braves are a, a World Series contender in those times? You know, the one thing I really never, never did is talk to them about how did how did present themselves on the broadcast. Uh, first of all, I thought that would have been very disrespectful. They were professionals. They knew. Um, so, you know, we had a unique situation. We were a national broadcast, but we were doing one team. And I think we ha- uh, a lot of us who had been there a long time 
had a different view than people coming in, executives coming in from New York, trying to change what our broadcast was. Um, it had its own unique feel presentation, and we did the best we could to keep it that way and tell it like it is and leave the guys to be who they are and what they are. You know, just like WGN, you knew what Harry Carey and you knew what the Cubs broadcast and you knew, you know, basically Arnie Harris made Wrigley Field his theater. Um, We were a little different than that. We didn't have a Wrigley Field to use and the people and the glasses and, you know, Harry Carey to, to be the one personality. So we did not, we didn't really steer, you know, we knew, and I've been asked this question a lot recently, we knew things were going on. We knew the audience was rising. We knew there was a lot of attention on us, but we went about our business every day somewhat the same to make sure that the broadcast was clean. It told the story um, that, that we were, we were doing what we should be doing. And there was some challenges through the years with the team because the team wanted us to be, I think at at times more, um, more of a Homer and less, objective and we did have our challenges and we had a big spat back in i don't know 2001 i don't know if you're you remember the yeah, old was that the thing um, on the team bus or something well what happened was and i actually wasn't working this particular night but you know javi lopez used to set up off the plate and we showed the net and and there was a lot of you know they used to get before before quest tech and all that maddox glavin and smoltz would get three four inches off the plate would be called a strike and so our producer that night did an overlay of one and and what they what they they got caught uh painting the catcher's box bigger than the rules and our broadcast showed that one night and that was not taken very well by the team. Basically it showed them breaking the rules and they got fined by major league baseball. So we were banned from the team plane to go to Montreal. Uh, All the announcers and my production crew, we were banned uh, by the, league exec or the team executives to go on the, on the plane and uh the writers one of the writers bill zach from the morris news agency was actually on the plane with us and thought that that was <laughs> he dove right into that story how did that get resolved so when we got to montreal uh we were uh whisked into Bobby Cox's office with Frank Wren, who was the assistant GM at the time, uh, myself and Joe Simpson, who was doing the broadcast the night of the overlay and was kind of involved in that. And we just had a very spirited conversation at Olympic Stadium in Montreal (laughs) that went on an hour. And ultimately, um, our boss was Mark Lazarus, who's the head of NBC now, and Terry McGurk was the head of 
the whole corporation at the time. And Terry told the Braves and told Mark Lazarus, fix this because it had made not only in Atlanta headline news on the sports page, it was headline news on the actual, (laughs) on the, on the newspaper. And he, uh, McGurk told everybody to fix this problem. And by the end of the day, I want this. I don't want to hear about it anymore. And so, but uh, we had a, we had a spirited conversation and Bobby Cox was right in the middle of it. So, you know, it was, it it was taken and Stan Caston at one point said, you're either with us or against us. And if you're going to be against us, we're going to treat you that way. And um, that was, we, (laughs) we, we've had Stan and I, and I, you know, I went to work for Stan out at the Dodgers a little bit later and we've had that conversation a few times. Um, but it was, it was a spirited conversation. Yeah, Stan, Stan's <laughs> and, never one to mince words. He, you're never well, going to be, uh, yeah. Stan yeah. You always know where he's coming that, from. Yeah. Stan wasn't in that particular meeting in Montreal. Uh, we actually did see him, um, the next series we went to Shea stadium and he was there and uh, he and I did have a spirited conversation about that. Something about trying to close the uh, tube on the toothpaste after the toothpaste was out or something to that effect. With some more colorful <laughs> words, I'm sure, intermingled yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah. uh, Glenn, as we, as we wrap up, and, and I know the answer, but I want to hear your, your perspective on it. Can we ever have anything like that, whether it was to a smaller degree with WOR had with Ralph Kiner and, and – you know, um, uh, you know the broadcast they had in GN with Harry Carey and Steve Stone and certainly what you guys built for a long time. With TV rights the way they are and teams now controlling narratives, can that run that you guys put together, can that ever happen in today's day and age? You know, I, I never want to say never to anything because, um, you know, I used to say as a kid, I was a big L.A. Kings hockey fan when I was a child and I would say the Kings would never win a Stanley Cup in my <laughs> lifetime and they've won two so I never say never <laughs> it, it would be difficult now uh, things are changing and as you know there are some characters still out there doing broadcasts somebody you know like um, Kuiper and, and, and Kuko out in San Francisco sure. but as you know, they're one that comes to mind off the top of my head. Um, but as the old timers retire and pass, um, I think it's very, very, very difficult now for anybody to grab a hold of the entire um, sport and have that much influence. You know, I went out and worked with the Dodgers. Uh, at the end of Vin Scully's career in their network. And we were on MLB network all the time, all the time. And, um, you know, Vin and Vin was sharp right to the end of his, his, you know, he's still, and Vin is still alive and doing well. And I talk to him every once in a while, but he, you know, he was kind of the last of that group. And, you know, you're talking about, Harry Carey and Harry Callis and Jack Buck and um, uh, Vin Scully. And, but now it would be very, very, very difficult just the way. And there's so much overexposure of every sport, not just baseball. Well, I think I speak for a lot of Atlantans and folks around the country. I think we're very lucky, right, to either grow up yes. or just be a part of watching the team. Yes, don't get me wrong. The team is where it's – but 
your group and your team, I just thought the product you guys put forth and the job everybody did, it was it was obvious that it wasn't just show up at 735 and flip it on. You guys put a lot of work into it, and uh, it's appreciated by a lot of folks who enjoyed the product. So, Glenn, thank you. No problem. Thanks, everybody, so much for taking the time to listen to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. Thanks to our producer, Matt Lear, for his assistance with the program. He's the glue that keeps the operation running. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Atlanta. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming uh-huh. And parties don't stop yeah. till 8 uh-huh. in the morning Now the party don't start till I walk in And I usually don't leave until the thing is But in the meantime, since the party don't stop A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.